0: Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Has this ever happened to you? I hope it has. You've been in class and teacher hands out tests and just starts ripping into the class for how poor the performance was on the test. That's not the part I'm hoping for yet. Hang on. But you look at your test and say, wow, I did really well. So as the teacher is getting after the class, you know You did well. You ever done that before? You're kind of sitting there kind of chuckling because, whoa, I got a good score. She's really getting after them today, or he is, and not me. I'm not to blame for this one. Or maybe been on a team before. The team has had such a poor performance, gotten beaten soundly, and everybody is getting just reamed out by the coach. Man, you didn't play. You didn't do anything. You guys didn't show up tonight. And you know, that you had one of your best games ever. He just sat back saying, that's not for me. <laughs> I did well. Jesus here in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, again, is not just addressing individuals, but this new community, this church that is being formed. And as Jesus begins to address different sins and violations of the law, as we started last week, verses 21 and following here, it be very easy for some people in the community to sit back and say, that's not me. All that stuff last week about anger, that's not me. Lust, go get him, Jesus. I'm safe on that one. But as Jesus teaches here, Jesus is going to turn over every stone of sin where sin is being hidden. He is going to find He is going to find all of us because all of us have failed. The Beatitudes have prepared us for this part in the teaching. If you remember, first part of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. There's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. They should be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is no room for sitting back and saying, I'm good. Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones wrote this, self satisfaction, smugness, and glibness are the very antithesis of the New Testament doctrine of holiness. One of the things that we don't do as followers of Jesus whenever we hear his teaching is sit back and feel very smug as Jesus is calling out the sins of people. We know that we're coming. We come to a very difficult subject today, isn't it? Lust, adultery. Jesus never avoided these difficult subjects. We're uneasy talking about it in church, aren't we? Everyone's probably wondering. I wonder how John's going to handle this this morning. This is awkward, but how different it is from our culture? Our culture has no hesitations whatsoever in talking about this, so we definitely need to address it. Our culture doesn't matter what it is. Anything sexual in nature, almost nothing now is left to the mind and imagination. Nothing is hidden. Nothing is shameful. Our society is digging itself into a greater and greater hole of degrading ourselves as God's image bearers. We are self-destructing in this regard. We're trying to dig out of the minds as much as sexual pleasure as we possibly can from the human body that God made. And yet that hole that we are digging in our sin can become our burial ground the amount of pornography consumed in our culture, the amount of advertising that is sexualized, the amount of sexualization and lust and passion in movies, the number of boys and girls who are kidnapped as sex slaves, makes you sick. Why is so much of this going on in our society? I mean, we talk about this at different times. We say, Why is so much of this being so prominent in our culture? Why do people spend so much money using sexual things to sell products? The answer is because there is a market for it and a demand. And that market and demand we're finding out from Jesus comes from the heart. There are many, many people in our society that want the things that we cry out against. And all that is coming from the human heart. Why is, it so, why is it so crucial for us to deal with this this morning? Because as a community, we must remember that we need loads and loads of grace and loads and loads of truth. We should want to help sinners who are regularly falling in this area of lust, but who want Jesus who want holiness and who want truth. That means we've got to be a place of grace where people can actually confess and admit their sins. There's not going to be the attacks and feelings of smugness and condemnation towards others. Many people who are caught in this sin already have so much shame and guilt. They don't need us loading it up more. They need loads of grace but also we have to be a place of truth with lots of truth because some people refuse to take the teaching of Jesus seriously. So that means we have to be a place where we rebuke sinners who refuse to accept the truth of Jesus as truth. We lovingly plead with them and pray with them, but we say, this is sin. We don't care as a church, as a community of believers, what they say out there. Oh, it's okay. It's not that bad. It's innocent. Nobody's getting hurt. It's just something going on inside the heart. We say no. That is destroying us as humanity. And we are against it. And as followers of Christ, we have pledged to Christ that we will pursue him and follow him in holiness. And we cannot tolerate this sin. We have to be a place of truth. So this morning, we're going to look at how Jesus defines this lust. We're going to look at how Jesus suggests that we address this sin in a drastic way. Look at knowing the eternal stakes here in dealing with this. And then lastly, how we defeat this sin with a greater pleasure. First of all, it's always good to define, right? Define the true nature here of adultery as lustful desire. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Look at verses 27 and 28 again. So again, Jesus says here, as he's already said last week, and he's going to keep on saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery from the Ten Commandments. You've heard that through Moses. It's in the law. Jesus says, you've heard that. But I now, who fulfills the law, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, the question for us is, how do we understand Jesus as intensifying or adding to the law? Again, we've seen how Jesus comes to fulfill the law, so he intensifies it and adds revelation. How does this contrast with Moses and, in some sense, the Old Testament? Well, the Jewish teachers actually taught that lusting is a form of adultery. So that's not it there, because they already taught about the seriousness of lusting, even it being equal to adultery. If you go back to the Ten Commandments, again, it says do not commit adultery. The Tenth Commandment says you shall not covet. Remember that? One of the things you shall not covet is your neighbor's wife. And the word covet there in the Ten Commandments, back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, in the Greek version is actually the same verb here used for desiring or lusting for someone. So what Jesus does is he puts that commandment do not commit adultery with the 10th commandment about coveting and he links them together. The Jewish teachers by and large didn't do this as far as the two commandments. When they talked about adultery they really emphasized that it was a form of stealing. When you commit adultery you are stealing somebody from somebody else. Jesus doesn't emphasize that. He goes this whole idea of coveting And having a lustful intent for someone. Again, it's very easy to say, I didn't do the physical act. I didn't actually do the action. So therefore, I must be innocent. No action, no sin. Jesus says incredibly, by you wanting to do some act, even though you're not doing it, it makes you guilty of doing it. Because you want to in your heart, that want to in your heart is equal to actually doing the act, the physical act of adultery. When I merely think about this, I merely think about how vile lust must be. It's hard for us to think this way. As I was praying this morning for the sermon, I just—I think I thought about Lord. And too many times my mind runs in the world. I just I don't think after you the way I should. And so many times our culture is influencing us. So if you said to most people in our culture, isn't, isn't lust vile? are like, what are you talking about? What? But lust is, according to Jesus, very vile. Because when we think of lusting, we ought to think of somebody committing adultery with another person. When I was a pastor in Minnesota. We went to a pastor's wives retreat. One well, of my friends got a chance to speak that year with his wife, and I didn't know what they were going to speak about. And they shared how the wife had committed adultery against him while he was a pastor. Man, you talk about getting shot in the heart. I was like, what? What? And then to tell have them tell their story in front of all these pastors and wives of what she did, how she got caught up with another man, how he found out about it, and how they dealt with it and actually became reconciled. I tell you, when you actually hear of somebody going through adultery, I'm not talking about something on the news, but friends, it's vile to you, doesn't it? Because it's so destructive. Think about the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. The Ten Commandments there were to build followers of Yahweh the Lord, to build families, to build communities, to build society. And when adultery happens, that destroys a person's soul. It destroys their spouse. It destroys their children. It rips apart communities because where is the trust? You made promises. You made vows. Are your words worthless? Now that person who committed adultery and they're seen around the community, what are people going to think about them in their business now? And begins to tear down and destroy communities. A person can say, you said yes. You made a vow, you made a promise. Was all that for naught? You see, adultery is faithlessness. It's betrayal and it is rebellion. It tears souls, it tears relationships, it tears families. That's why in the Old Testament it demanded the death penalty for both parties. Leviticus 20, verse 10, says that both parties are to be put to death. But what if one person has more influence on the other? Shouldn't you take that into consideration? No. They both are to be put to death for the action that they did. And again, why it's so important is because in the Old Testament, God talks about his relationship with his people in terms of a a marital relationship and talks about their rebellion and their idolatry as being adultery against the Lord. All those different passages, Hosea, all that stuff in the prophets, read about adultery, God's people against God the Father. Now, Jesus says, we have to think about that in terms of lusting. That changes, doesn't it, a little bit? All that stuff about adultery, now we associate that with lusting. It's a vile, internal, profane action of the mind heart. And as you think of adultery, so you ought to think of your lustful desires. Next, when you think about the imaginative nature of lust, that was the vile nature, but now the imaginative nature. It says here in the ESV, lustful intent. This is a word for desire or passion. It actually can have a good connotation in the New Testament. But here it's obviously sinful, where you want something you're not supposed to have or thinking about something you're not supposed to think about. Again, this is not just looking. We can't always control what comes in front of our eyes, but here it's with lustful intent. You want to lust after that person. This is the imagination, the heart going to work. It's imagining what you want from that person or undressing them in your mind. Some refer to this as making people into objects. They're not objects of love, but objects of pleasure from your use of them in your imagination. They become something that you use for your own pleasure, and they serve you, and they serve your pleasures. It's not love, because love is giving. This is taking from them in your mind. You can already hear the arguments, can't you? So what? They don't even know that you're doing it to them. What's the big deal? It's just something going on internally inside of you. How can it actually be a problem? But God says we cannot use people like that even in our minds. That's abusing people, and we're doing that in our minds. And God says, no, you are destroying and hating your neighbor by how you're treating them in your mind not treating them as image bearers of God. They are servants of your sinful pleasure. And according to Jesus, that's enough. If God sees and knows our intentions, what we want, that is a failure to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We also see here the subtle nature of lust. Subtle still might seem like we're making too big deal of this. Again, no one can see inside of us what's the big deal. But Jesus is always seeking to get us to go deeper into our hearts where the formation of sin begins and where sin is very subtle in its beginnings. Sin is very quiet, very hidden when it starts. But give sin just a little bit of time, and it takes over. It wants all the attention, and it wants all the glory. Not at first. It remains quite subtle. This is why it's very difficult for us as religious people that we not just look at the external actions of who we are. Again, Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in 23, verse 25 of Matthew, You clean the outside of the cup and the plate. This is what they did. They were always looking on the outside. They never wanted to look inside in their hearts and what their hearts were doing and how sin was subtly at work. Those who follow Jesus do it much, much differently. They follow Jesus with their hearts. And they don't wrestle with the obvious, glaring, public, shameful sins. No, they wrestle with the real subtle twitching of sin at work in their hearts. And they are aware when sin begins to twitch a little bit because they're monitoring in their hearts. Think about cleaning your house. You can clean your house on a couple different levels, can't you? You can kind of put everything away, stack things nice, looks nice and clean. And somebody gets right up to the wall going, wow, this is dirty look in the corners of your house, look on the ceilings, look in the cracks, you go, you never cleaned this house. You just kind of reorganized it. We're good at reorganizing things, aren't we? Spiritually, PhDs in it, we're great at it. But who really wants to bother with those little corners which, you know, who's going to come over and look in the corner of our house? you ever done that with You? let me get down on their hands and knees and say, man, there's dirt in your corner. Jesus saying, you'd better get down on your hands and knees and you better look at those corners. Because what's in those corners is not going to stay in the corners. It's going to take over your house. We know the subtlety of sin. We know that what is small right now may end up overtaking us a year from now. We know if we give room to this sin that it may take over and destroy us and ruin our families and going to shame us before the church, before the other followers of Jesus. Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus says that we must, we should love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. You can't do that if you're lusting. Your heart's been taken over. You can't love God like that. Your heart is not wholly loving God. Your dignity as being made by God and for God is being shredded by lust. That's why God hates lust. It tears us apart from within. He wants our whole heart to love Him and understand His great love. That's defining it. Let's look at how Jesus says we should address this with drastic measures. 29 through 30, has the solution here. And it's pretty graphic, isn't it? Right eye caused you to sin, you, you tear it out. And a lot of times we just gloss over that fast, don't we? I don't want to be rude and crude here, but Jesus obviously wants us to think about that a little bit. I don't know if I could do that. You're supposed to take your eye out. And you're supposed to throw it from you. And then you got a hand, you cut off your hand. I, I don't know. I don't think I could do that. Cut off your hand and you throw it away. Jesus says this would be better than going into hell. Now it's kind of hard to understand because really if you tear out an eye, one eye especially, or if you cut off a hand, how is that going to stop you from lusting? It's not going to really do it, is it? So we have to think here a little bit deeper. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, right eye, right hand, that would be your dominant usually. They weren't left-hand sensitive back there in the first century. Sorry for all you left-handers. <laughs> but right-hand dominant, right hand, right eye, right hand. Be are dominant, strong, and that'd be very, very valuable. You'd want to protect your right hand and your right eye. That's your strength. That's how you protect yourself. But Jesus says, if this can take away any possibilities or opportunities for committing sin, then you take the drastic measure and take out your eye and cut off your hand. So Jesus is saying here, be drastic in how you deal with your sin. Take drastic steps and measures if you sense that the sin of lust is twitching in your heart. You can't really do anything to your body to stop lusting. We're going to have to come back to in a second how we deal with that. But you can take drastic measures to stop giving yourselves up to the availability and opportunity of it. So let's say someone here is here today and they are wrestling with a sin. What might this entail? It might mean you need to avoid certain people. At your job, different uh, social circles you're in, you just may have to cut something off. And people might be saying, why are you doing that? Why aren't you friends with them? Or why don't you go to those meetings anymore? Why don't you hang out with them? You're going to be put in a tough spot, aren't you? It's not quite as bad as taking out your eye though, is it? I guess that might be worth it then. It may mean you need to uh, have somebody watching your computer. Pretty embarrassing, right? So you know what? I got problems here with my computer. I'm, I'm using it to lust. I need you. Or emailing people. You know you shouldn't be emailing this person, so you need to CC some other people. It might be embarrassing again. You might need internet accountability. Not getting on your computer alone. You may have to seriously interrupt your life, pay money, ask for help, and it may be very painful. But as Jesus argues here, it'd be better to throw your $500 computer in the garbage than for you to be thrown into hell. That's a lot better deal. (sighs) problem is we just don't deal with sin like this, do we? We just kind of keep petting it. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. That's why a lot of times we just don't listen to Jesus. To be honest, sometimes we think he's not really telling us the truth. We just don't act on it. Why such drastic language? Again, Jesus is using a lot of drastic language. You saw it last week too, right? If you're there in the temple in Jerusalem, you're going to make your sacrifice. You remember that somebody has something against you, you leave there and you go back and deal with it, and then you come back, and we talked about all the time, money, energy, resources to do that, that comes at a great cost. Same thing here. There's a great cost in following Jesus. And some don't want to pay the cost. But there's a cost to following Jesus and to pursuing Him and holiness. We usually minimize our sin, Our sin is always less than others, and that's why we refuse to be drastic with our sin. We're Matthew 7 here, judging others. We're always judging others' sin as worse than ours, and when we do that, we feel better about our sin. We don't feel like it's that strong and worthy of condemnation as others. The temptation here is for us to become very spiritually lazy, and Jesus wants us to be aggressive against sin. You have to be hostile against sin. Just like perhaps if somebody was actually trying to kill you. Somebody was actually laying their hands on you and they were telling you they're going to kill you. You just say, well, I'll figure this out sooner or later. Now you're going to fight for all your life, right? You don't think you're possible to get that person off you. Colossians 3.5, Paul says, Put to death what is earthly in you. What does earthling mean? What does that mean? Paul tells us. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Put it to death. See it as your enemy that wants to take your soul. Again, I just I get worried sometimes. We, we, we come here and we talk about this, but then we go and we don't think like this. We've got to think like this. Thirdly, it's knowing the eternal stakes of lustful desire. Eternal stakes of lustful desire. Again, it's shocking how Jesus argues here. It's shocking to me because very few people talk like Jesus or argue like Jesus. Again, notice what he says here. If you're right, I cause you a sin. It is better that you lose one of your members because you tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown to hell. Same with your right hand. It's better for you that you lose it than your whole body to go into hell. When you've read books on this or talked to other people, do they talk like this? Because most of the time, I don't hear people talking like this. I don't usually have them say, heaven and hell is at stake. What? What are you talking about? But that's what Jesus here says we again back to verse 20 where Jesus says unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember verse 26 you're angry and you refuse to, refuse to deal with others over your anger and your hostility and your bitterness and everything else you refuse to deal with it Jesus says in verse 26 you'll be put in eternal prison and you'll never get out. How come we don't talk more like that? Again, like we said last week, with anger, though. We're not just talking about, well, I lusted. Well, now it must mean I'm not a follower of Jesus. That's not what we're talking about here. Again, something much different than that. There's not even really, in some sense, a scoreboard where where God has a big scoreboard in heaven saying, okay, if they do better with lust today than yesterday, then they're a follower of mine. If they go down, then they're not a follower of mine. We're not doing that kind of thing. That's not true. So what is Jesus here really emphasizing? Again, he is emphasizing that we must be in the fight against lust. We cannot sit down and say, I'm ruined, I give up, I give in, lust you win. And be plundered. Now a follower of Jesus says, you know what? By God's grace, by what Jesus has done for me, I can stand up and I can fight against the sin and I can wield the sword of the word of God and I can take this by God's grace as he works in me. I'm not gonna sit down and just be comfortable clicking on my computer anymore or thinking lustful thoughts with my coworker. I am done with that. That's what a follower of Jesus does. This is a war that's very difficult to win alone. In fact, I would say no wars are ever won alone. I don't care what war you're talking about. And if possibly you're here today struggling, you need to tell somebody. Not later, but now. Don't hide in the shadows of shame and guilt, locked up in a dark closet, Don't let Satan have the key on you and keep you locked in. Come out and get in the light. There's going to be someone there to grab you by the hand and help you up and say, let's fight together. If what Jesus is saying is true, and I believe Jesus, and the way he is arguing is true, then we can say that some people will be in hell forever and ever ever because of lust. And when I thought about this past week, it frightened me. I don't say that as trying to frighten anybody here necessarily. I feel my job is to make sure that on Judgment Day, you don't say, wow, I didn't expect that. That's shocking. As much as possible, we study God's Word. It's preparing us to say... Anticipate this, anticipate this, anticipate this. Some people are going to be in hell because of lust. They don't love Jesus. They don't follow Jesus, but they give themselves over to lust, and they don't want to fight lust. So how do we win in some sense? Defeating lustful desire with a greater pleasure. Again, we always have to step back and say, again, what's the bigger picture going on here? And the bigger picture is always Jesus, his work for us, and the kingdom of heaven. We're going to have to have hard work. We're going to have to be determined. We're going to have to plan. We're going to have to have grit. We're going to have to have accountability. But it's going to take much more than that because there are many people who've done those types of things and have failed, and lust has consumed them and plunged them into all kinds of pits of destruction, immorality, and adultery. If we think of being about lustful desire, we do it, people do it, because it gives great pleasure. It stimulates pleasure centers in your brain. There's actually a physiological jolt that people get from lusting and viewing pornography. If you're not aware of this, we won't talk about it too much here, we won't have time, but People say that that jolt is actually can be stronger than most recreational drugs. It actually change, changes pathways in your brain. The brain and the soul enjoy those pleasure centers being hit. Touched, 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 and they just enjoy that. So the way you defeat the pleasure of lust is only by greater pleasure right you get something better you go after that so you're at a table you're eating some crummy crackers didn't mean that would be a pun it was a pun crummy crackers and your mouth is getting dry you're like this is this is my lunch like oh i can't stand it i say you know what i've got a steak for you and after we have the steak we have ice cream available for you how about that what are you gonna do? you gonna stay at the crumbs? You're gonna say, okay, I'm going with you. That sounds like whole much better. So same thing here with lust. We say, we gotta find something better than, than lust. So boy, what could we possibly find? I want to start a look at Matthew 5:11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Here we go. On my account. Rejoice and be glad. There must be something so great about Jesus on His account that as people utter evil against us and persecute us, we say, "Jesus, you are far more worth than what they're doing to me. I'm hanging on to you because you are a greater pleasure. And so if I got a tear an eye, cut off a hand. Hey!" again, metaphorically, don't do it literally. But Jesus here is being presented as greater than any persecution that can ever be done. Matthew 13, verses 44, 45. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys a field. This is having a garage sale We don't keep anything. This is not a garage sale where you just sell the junk and keep all the good stuff. This is a garage sale where you say, Come in my house, everything's up for sale because I need every single penny so I can go get that treasure. Do you see there's a cost to having Jesus? We're okay with the junk going, (laughs) but don't take my car. Don't take this, don't take that. But in your joy, you say, come in and plunder my house. It's all for free. Verse 45 Forty six, in case we didn't get it, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. The only way to conquer lust is by a greater pleasure. And that's Jesus. Some people believe that and they put their joy in Jesus. Other people say, Jesus isn't somebody I can even see and touch. I don't think he's going to be worth it. I'd like to hang on to him a little bit so I can escape the flames of hell. But he's not really worth something more than lust. This is something that God does with his grace and something we cultivate, this greater pleasure in Christ. Think about a relationship with a spouse. Relationships with spouses take years to cultivate. I know when people are 22 and 23... They're all in love. Yeah, whatever. Okay. It takes years to cultivate that relationship. But then after years, you begin to enjoy the fruits of your labor. Good joys, great joys begin to abound. You begin to finally appreciate them. Begin to see more of their beauty. You enjoy seeing their hearts come out, their trust in you, and the joy increases. Same way as we think about Jesus, whether you're doing a devotions at home or at church here, not just learning, not just studying, we're not just learning information, we're trying to see and savor the beauty of Christ. I love to study and I love to teach, but when I preach, I feel as though my job is to show you the beauty of Christ. See this? See that? Did you think of that? Remember that? Because all that is about the beauty of Christ. When we're here in the worship service, we're here to admire the beauty of Christ and the pleasure he has in us as we have pleasure in him. And when you have that, lust comes knocking and says, give me some room in your heart. I want to have some some room there so I can lust. You say, "Uh uh-uh, it's all full. Jesus is my satisfaction and he is my contentment. Now it's one thing for me to say that in just a couple minutes. But actually getting to that point, we need to talk about that for a while, don't we? If we had time. Because it's cultivating a relationship with Christ. Years and years of being faithful to Christ. Recognizing his grace and mercy. Admiring the cross and how you have been put on that cross with Christ. All that repenting, creating new habits and patterns. It takes time. Sometimes the joy just doesn't come like that. And a lot of people say, I'm out of here. <sighs> don't, don't quit. Don't quit. It won't be overnight, but it'll be a struggle. But in time, Christ will choose to display his beauty. And sometimes he waits to show his beauty. Think with me about a woman of honor. We need more women of honor, don't we, today? Women of honor who just doesn't bear her body for it to be oogled at. But she chooses in a special relationship, vows and promises when she will show her body to somebody. Her body is not for the world. Her body is for someone that loves her. Can Jesus trust you with His beauty? And when He can, He will show it to you. When you're serious about it, when you're serious about plucking out an eye, cutting off a hand, you want to deal with your sin, Christ will say, Okay, now I'm going to show you my beauty. Does He know that you want Him? and that you are willing to pay the price to go and sell all that you have to have him. Jesus is not cheap. He's very valuable. Let's pray. scriptures say, Lord, that you are the knower of men's hearts. Lord, every single heart in here is open and laid bare before you. As reminding in Psalm 139, before we've had a thought, before we've even lusted, you know it. You know everything. Lord, I pray in your searching of our hearts that you will be merciful and gracious and that you will find every single person in this room willing to yield to you and to recognize your great love and mercy. And Lord, that they will want Christ more than anything else. That Christ will be worth saying no to so many things that the world is screaming and demanding of us that we say yes to. But that Jesus will be worth saying no and maybe even being mocked at because we don't watch some of the same movies that people do and watch Pornography with the Friends. We talk about how terrible that stuff is. Lord, just pray that you will help us to move in more of that faithfulness to Christ and that the beat of Christ would be made open to us more and more and the be people that Jesus can trust in showing himself to us. In Christ's name.